the simplest commercial baking resource. Brought to you by Bakerpedia and hosted by Mark Florka. With 45 years of industry experience, Mark knows the ins and outs of baking. He is Bakerpedia's community forum manager and baking instructor. He's here to share knowledge and help you grow connections. You're listening to the Baked In Science Podcast. Hello, all my baking friends. Welcome to another episode of Baked In Science. Today, I sit down with Jerry Smiley, an industry consultant with a wealth of knowledge and information. I hope you will enjoy this conversation as much as I did. Jerry, welcome to the Baked in Science podcast. You and I have had a few interactions. You've started off been in the baking industry, the food industry as a whole, but you know the baking industry has been your your background for a long time. You know the last time, remember, was talking and looking at your stuff. Like、uh, Sarah Lee was one of the the companies you you worked for at one time, and、uh, you've had a lot going on since those days. So, what can you tell us about Jerry Smiley and everything? I appreciate, by the way, that you are having me on your podcast. I think it's、uh, an exciting opportunity. It's the first time I've done、Excellent. this, and so it's exciting for me. I have, I would say, a little bit of a different background. My my undergraduate's industrial engineering, so I spent、ah, five、cool. years as an IE University of Cincinnati graduate, which I can say very proudly because they finished ranked fourth in the country in football this year.、Yep. So we had a good year. We didn't beat Alabama for、um, to go higher, but hey, it was it's the highest. We've、uh, we finished. So I spent five years as a as an industrial engineer with Quaker Oats, and I got my master's in marketing at night at DePaul University here in Chicago, and started in marketing.、Excellent. And so I was at, at Quaker doing Gatorade in、uh, first Van Camp Pork and Beans, and then Gatorade in the Warehouse Club.、I、moved to Weight Watchers Food Company, which is part of Heinz H.A. Heinz,、mm-hmm. and really that was my first exposure really to bakery. We launched a line of Weight Watcher branded muffins in the in-store bakery. That were lower fat and lower calorie. That led to a promotion to the head of marketing in Canada for Heinz Bakery. So I lived in Toronto for almost four years. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, I, yes, and I'm, I'm as my children would tell you, I'm a wannabe Canadian.、Um, I we we celebrate Canadian Thanksgiving every year, which is ex- kind of exciting. Oh, fantastic! With the Canadian flag out every year. I love Canada and I enjoyed my time there.、Um, I appreciate. I moved、that. back. I was head of New Ventures for Sarah Lee Bakery Food Service. Service for about a year, and then I moved into consulting. I worked for Technomic for about two and a half years, and then been on my own almost twenty-two years. Wow! And yeah. yeah, and to your point, I do a lot of work in bakery. It's it's、yep. funny. I tell my bakery clients, you know, I've got a lot of bakery experience, and then I tell my other clients, I do bit things other than bakery too. <laughs> so, <laughs> but but I have I've done work for you know many of the large bakery ingredient companies and finished goods companies. So I've done work, in fact, for ADM. And interesting, that's not how you and I met. Our paths never. Across, even though、no. we have a lot of the same people in common that we know through、yeah. ADM, right? It's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is kind of interesting. So yeah, I've done work for on the ingredient side, you know, like ADM and Corbion and Puratos, people like that. And then on the finished goods side, I've done work for what was Arista. Did a little work for K 
Kellogg's, yeah, CSM, you know, pretty much all the big people really haven't had much opportunity to work for Rich Products is probably the only large one that I've worked for. Yeah. Lantman and Unibake, some international work too, which is kind of fun too. But yeah, so it's it's been fun. I enjoy bakery. I do some work for startups too. I did some work for a high fiber whole wheat grain that launched the company's called Good Wheat. And I'm doing some work for a client confidentially who's interested in a nutritionally advantaged bread. So I'm kind of excited about that too. We actually have that client in common, right? <laughs> we do. So yeah, so I've done everything. I've done food service, bakery, in-store bakery, bakery ingredients. Now I'm doing some some potentially commercial aisle product. Uh, there's actually bakery in my in my blood. My, my mother's cousin started a line, a, a series of retail bakeries in Cincinnati called Grody Bakery. Wow. They, yes, I think they had yeah. seven at, at their peak. Yeah. So it, it was kind of exciting. It's, and it should be pronounced Groda, as you and I both know. Unfortunately, you know, with all a lot of retail bakeries, they went out of business probably in the mm, late 80s, early 90s. Yeah. The 80s, we hear in the news a lot of the talk of inflation and things going on these days. You know, the, the Great Recession of 2008 that really yeah. hit primarily the stock markets and stuff like that. The recession of the 80s was really hard on small businesses, especially. Yeah. There are a lot of companies that went out of business, a lot of good companies that just yeah. weren't able to survive because as a business, you need to borrow. That is part of how you operate a lot of times. And the borrowing costs just went insane. Nothing like any of the, the kids today could ever imagine. It will not surprise you for me to tell you that I had a car loan that was at 18 and three quarters percent interest. Um, and that was with a good credit rating, right? Yeah. Um, that was, it was crazy. Speaking of news too, is that you do, I would call it an informal newsletter that is really practical and handy that I enjoy. And you have a lot of different channels for this this type of newsletter. So can you tell us a little bit about that? I really like the way you go about it. Maybe people would like to sign up. Sure. Yeah, it, it is interesting. I don't know what provoked me to do this, but probably within the first year of going on my own, I realized that, you know, People and and on, when I was on the other side of the table, people are inundated with with email publications. Whether it's you know probably five or so food service publications, and some bakery publications, and food ingredients. Yeah. A lot of it now electronically, and so people don't have time to go through all that. So what I do, and I spend up to two hours a day doing this, is mm -hmm. I go through virtually. I mean, I don't. I'm not on everyone, but I'm on many of the domestic and international trade journal um, publication email list, and then on others, you know, things like Business Week and Wall Street Journal and that kind of thing. So if I see an article that is either cutting edge slash something you won't see somewhere else or breaking news, I shoot it out to one of many of my email distribution lists. So it's really not so much of a newsletter as it is just an article, you know, that you'll see random, you know, that you'll get from me. Sometimes they're busy weeks. And so, you know, depending on how many lists you're on, you might get a couple, but generally it's, it's, you won't get inundated with them. Yeah. But mm -hmm. um, I do, I I do have clients that tell me that they see news from me before they see it from other sources. And mm -hmm. so that's kind of exciting. I do have a couple clients who jokingly try to beat me to the news source, which is kind of fun, <laughs> is if they can get it to me before I can get it to them, then they won that round mm -hmm. and they know who they are. <laughs> but it's kind of fun. I have presidents of companies on my email list and I have, you know, uh, starting out R&D technicians and that kind of thing. So anybody's welcome. I think the largest one I have is really just kind of a generic food one, and that might be talking about inflation, like you mm -hmm. mentioned, or supply chain issues, or again, a different take than you'll see somewhere else. I would say probably in total, I may have 
a couple thousand people on my email list, but any individual one, food, I think is the biggest that's one. Still, that's fantastic. I mean, yeah. I, I really enjoy the the fact, like you said, you know, if I, if I think of myself, I mean, I'm just an independent retired contractor, but I mean, you know, my, my, my wife wants to have me in my retired time. So uh, I really appreciate it because like from a CEO's perspective and like Dr. Lynn and I often will have these kinds of conversations is we're always looking for things that are compact, concise, where it's easy to grasp the main piece of the information and, you know, filter all the other stuff is kind of filtered out. Right. And, and that's yeah. what I really find. I enjoy when I see an email from you, it's not one that I, oh, I'll, I'll open that later. I, I, if I have a moment, I open that right away because I know it's not going to take me much more than four or five minutes to read through it. And I'm going to be better informed than if I had gone through the plethora of other, you know, junk email that you, you would get from somebody because they've gotten to the point, some of them, that there's so much advertising that it takes too long to get to the information. That's where people are starting to lose patience. Recommend people uh, to consider if they're, they're looking for concise bakery news that comes in sometimes not even once a week, but you right. know, usually at least on a weekly basis, roughly, right? Uh, more if it's breaking news. And that's why, like I said, it's not like you're going to get one every day or every Thursday or something. You'll get one when there's news that's newsworthy. And that's really good. So uh, should they just email you uh, directly? Yeah. Or? And I get a lot of people, I get a lot of references that way. So for example, I mentioned Kellogg's is one of my clients. Constantly, some, there'll be you know a, a new marketing person there, a new salesperson. They'll get one of these stories. They'll send an email to me, say, can I be added to whatever John mm -hmm. is on the list for? You yeah. know, So it's great. I mean, and to be honest, in the whole time I've been doing this, it's less than a dozen people who've asked to be removed. And it's generally because they got out of the industry or mm -hmm. retired. Yeah. And even many people are still on it, even though they're retired. Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, yeah, I, like I know I like staying in, informed in the industry and stuff. There's a lot of the things that where we have connected originally is kind of things that have been happening a lot in the baking industry. It seems to me like the past two years during the pandemic, there's even been even more activity than ever in changes in mergers, acquisitions, uh, you know, companies uh, divesting of divisions and things like that. What are some of the important ones or some of the interesting ones that you can share with us that we could talk about? It is interesting. And I think that COVID played a pretty big role in this, that maybe they chose to sell because the family wanted to get out of the business or, you know, there was some other strategic reason. But but some of it was actually driven by the fact that COVID made some people's uh, businesses rough to run. And so you found that there had to be a turnover in that regard. But I would say in terms of, for lack of a better word, but, you know, as, as we're bakery people, mega mergers, you know, these aren't little things that have happened, but, but kind of transformative things that have occurred. And you, you kind of look at some of these things like, you know, George Weston getting out of the mm -hmm. frozen bakery. Well, and they're not only their frozen bakery business, but their private label shelf stable bakery. Yeah. 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 I mean, that was huge for them. That, that was, was a, a massive um, amount. You know, FGF bought the, the frozen piece and then Heartland, which is a, you know, predominant contract packer, they bought the, the shelf stable, the cookies and the Girl Scout cookies and things like that. Mm -hmm. I think that was huge. I think, you know, Rise Baking, which is owned by Arbor, but it's a private equity, you know, they bought the Dawn Frozen business and all the plants wow. associated with that. 
Yeah. And then they bought Brill, you know, the, the, oh, the CSM wow. business here in the States. Yeah. So, I mean, those are two massive acquisitions. Yeah. You've got Crown Bakeries, which used to be known uh, from a very generic name of the bakery companies. Yeah. But you've got the Caparos brothers who, who went down there and now they're making considerable acquisitions. They bought a, a manufacturing plant from Gold Standard. They bought Michelle's out of Philadelphia. Those are on the, the finished goods side. I mean, and there's more. Right? Main Street has bought one of my clients, Muir Brothers. But even on the on the, the kind of the food ingredient side, Arden Mills bought a, a company called Firebird, which does gluten free and pulses and things like oh, that, which is wow. different. Yeah, yeah. And and Pirados has made an acquisition of a of a mixed company in Europe. So some exciting acquisitions. You know, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned, but Rich Products bought the Treehouse, the two um, yes, the yep. two bread plants mm-hmm. ahead. Yeah, from that. Mm-hmm. And so you know you kind of look at that and say. The big guys are getting bigger, but not only that, but some little guys are getting big. So if you look at the the net sales of people like Rise and and, and Crown, I mean, you're dealing in the hundreds of millions, if not billion, in revenue. Yeah. That's a big player. Yeah, all of a sudden now, you know, it's it's not such a big disparity between Bimbo and everybody else. Yeah, and and the other thing is that you know, like especially something like Ardent Mills and stuff. There's there's some stuff happening. There's, you know, they're setting up for a paradigm shift in the in the industry and stuff. And yeah. uh, that is that is really interesting. And that leads to the uh, and I hate to take the words out of your mouth, but the yep. innovation things that are going on. Everyone yep, is seeing exactly. that. Yep. Yeah, that that there's a consumer shift towards certain things. And that's leading to some of these acquisitions, but also mm-hmm. some just some innovation. Yep. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think when we when we talk about what. Uh, what's big in bakery right now, without a doubt, you know, nutritionally advantaged, if that's the word you want, you know, that's, that was a word we created at, at Weight Watchers Food Company. It was better than saying special diet or something mm-hmm, like that. Mm-hmm, but yep. it's, it's an interesting way to look at it. But you've got people launching, you know, non GMO versions of things like Angel Yeast, the Chinese company, they launched a line of non GMO yeast ingredients. And, oh, wow. You know, yeah, and Puratus launched um, calorie-reduced dough improvers. So mm-hmm. you're seeing some things on the nutritional side that are are big, um, you know, kind of tied to that. It's it's bigger in Europe, but it's going to it's going to be. I I don't know how many people I've mentioned this to, but titanium dioxide, mm-hmm. which is is essentially going to be banned in Europe, can't imagine that it won't be banned here. And that not only affects your audience, but it affects some of the colors people out there, yes. you know, who could come yeah. up with an alternative. It's going to take a little time till till titanium dioxide gets banned here in the U.S. North America, but um, a lot of those things eventually start trickling down. And genetic modification has not had its its stronghold here in North America that it has over Europe. But I think that has a lot more to do with a commercialization and B, just basically the ability that genetic modification gives with less land available to still continue to grow more, right? Um, Absolutely. And uh, and we should, yeah, we should definitely talk about that because despite me, you know, making a comment that that's where there's some movement towards, it's not one that I necessarily agree with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't want to, you know, call out any specific client of mine, but we, we let that one get out of the barn when we shouldn't have. Yeah. We, you know, even the whole definition of, of non-GMO, and, and I don't want to say things that might embarrass myself that I don't necessarily know, but, you know, when you do hybridization, that's kind of a mild version of GMO. And, yeah, there's a lot know, of debate point, about that now. Yeah. yeah I mean, you know, you when know, you when you talk about all the different wheat varieties alone is that, well, it's not, they didn't go in and splice a gene, but they're, they're breeding the wheat. Is that not a another form of genetic modification? 
I use the example, and and I and it's not my example. I had read somebody else, but if if you splice a scorpion gene with a tomato to mm-hmm. do something with that tomato, you could feel pretty comfortable. That's a bad idea, and that's GMO, <laughs> you know. But but if to your point, if you're just splicing things within a wheat, you know that to yeah. me that's just a form of hybridization, yeah. and and you hit the big nail, which which is what I talk about. There's not enough cropland on Earth. Yeah. to feed everyone if you get rid of those. And in yeah. fact, I did a project, it covered Africa as part of it. And there's African countries who refuse to allow GMO products being grown in their country. And I'm like, if there's any country that, that needs, needs GMO, GMO, it's it's a country in Africa. And yeah. and it's it's kind of surprising that movement on that. I think that was one that was a bit of a disappointment. It's really. challenging. A lot of these things are, are rooted in fear. And sometimes it's almost similar to what's been happening with the COVID pandemic. People will will latch onto misinformation out of fear more than anything yeah. else, right? But, you know, as you said, these these innovations bring promise and, and many opportunities. And there was one that caught my eye in one of your recent newsletters where you talked about a starch innovation that was sort of to be able to produce creamy texture or, or something like that. And that would have been probably the second one that I would have talked about. And that's this whole movement towards plant-based. When you can have a creamy item, you know, so some people use that aquafaba, you mm-hmm. know, which is essentially the thickened ju- juice, if you want to call it that, or whatever water that comes out of beans. Mm-hmm. People have been making cream toppings and meringues with that. And then the starch idea, I thought that was quite brilliant. I mean, mm-hmm. now, a lot of some of that movement towards plant-based has been driven by um, vegans, but vegans are a pretty small percentage of the population. Yes, uh, I don't I don't necessarily fall into that. In fact, I don't even call myself a vegetarian. I do eat probably more plant-based than more people. Most people do, but I still eat you know uh, chicken and fish and mm-hmm. sometimes beef and pork. It's just interesting when you again, which leads to another one, it, which is sustainability, is mm-hmm. you know that that it's easier to make one of those things out of starch or you know, aquafaba than it is out of cow's milk and, and all the footprint that those things have. Yeah. And, and that's what's driving the plant-based, I think, more than anything. You know, I have people who receive my emails, somebody, some of them are on the plant-based. I have a plant-based specifically, two of them actually I have a plant-based proteins, which is kind of the finished goods aspect of it. Yep. And then I have a plant-based protein ingredient one, which oh, are wow. just the people who, yeah, who just compete on that side. Mm-hmm. Um, sometimes they get both, but you know, some of the, you know, some of the people like say, for example, Kellogg's is, has Morningstar and they have plant-based other they are the R and D people, the, the, the regular people aren't necessarily too concerned about the ingredient part. They just want to know what's happening with their competitors. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. yeah, there's a lot of activity going on in that space. And, and interestingly, uh, it, it seems to be a lot coming from Israel. I mean, I, I, the number of startups that have happened in Israel on plant-based is fabulous. I mean, yeah, there's there's something to do with the way the the universities are integrated there and things into the business world of, of Israel. And um, while I was at ADM, we worked with some consultants from the University of Jerusalem and things like that. And it was very, yeah. very interesting because they have as much as they, the interesting thing also is the way they operate is that while they are excellent academic scholars and things like that, their approach to things is much more business-like in the Mm -hmm. sense that the research that they're doing, I've heard somebody say it's not foo-foo. Right. It's It's not theoretical. uh, It's practical. It's very practical. It's not just doing research for the sake of research, right? I mean, and doing research for something that has true, you know, real practical applications and, and stuff. And, and, 
that is has always been amazed me with uh, the stuff coming out of Israel and things. Yeah. And, uh, not only food wise, technology. Some of the stuff yeah. they do is incredible, right? Yeah, and I suspect part of that issue is also the fact that they have a limited amount of farmland and, and more importantly, water. And mm-hmm. so I'm going to guess that's what's driving it for them. I think it's interesting, I, and I and I think this is our way to go at the sustainability aspect, the you know protect the planet um, thing on a practical way. You know, so again, back to what you said about theoretical. And I've got another example here for you too that I thought was interesting. There's a company called Regrain, which you mm-hmm. you may have heard of, and they yep. they get the spent grains from beer production, that kind of thing. Well, Puratos has just partnered with them to, to use some of those spent grains in bakery ingredients. So again, a really neat way to work towards sustainability. Well, as you might have guessed, Jerry and I had a lot to talk about, and there will be a part two to this coming up in the near future, where we get a little bit more into some of the other innovations and things that have happened. There was just so much to cover with Jerry. It was so informative, and I hope you enjoyed this as much as I did and look forward to the next part. See you guys in the next one.